Welcome to the Northgate Church Podcast from the heart of Chester in the UK. So this morning, um, I just want to continue on in our series of looking at what dreams has God put within you? What are his plans for each and every one of us? Um, And on the last time that I spoke, um, we said that you and I, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you and I to do. And we also said that the time for doing those works is now, that God has called us, like he called Queen Esther, that we were called for such a time as this. And we spoke also about King David, of whom it was said that he served God's purposes in his generation. Not the future generation, not the generation before, but the now. It is a now time for us to serve God doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter what stage you're at. God has got things for each one of us to do now. And we also said that um, when God knit you together in your mother's womb, he put seeds within you to become what he's called you to be and called you to do. And I want to start there this morning about these seeds that he's put in you. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but somebody gave me a beautiful bowl of hyacinths. And of course they died and I thought, oh, I'll chop the the green off and the bulbs can regurgitate. And I put it outside. And, uh, I don't know, a few weeks later, I thought, gosh, I really should bring that pot in. And I don't know if you can see what is in my pot of hyacinths. What is it? It's an oak tree. And I think that we, we have lots of squirrels in our garden. And I think one of them has either dropped or hidden his little nut in this my bowl of hyacinths. And I have an oak tree that is growing. Now, I want to ask you, are you sure it's an oak tree? Why? You can see the leaves. But this oak tree, if I wanted to, I could ping it like this and it would just cave over. It's not very big. Are you sure it's still an oak tree? This this little plant has never produced any acorns. Are you sure it's an oak tree? Why is it an oak tree? It's still just young. It's it's still an oak tree. It's still still got got its DNA. (laughs) That's it. It's an oak tree because of the DNA that was in the seed when it was planted. One day, my little sapling could become this. Not in our garden. Not in our garden. Got that in quick, didn't he? 
But at the moment, it's this. But whether it's this or whether it's that, it's an oak tree. And you call it an oak tree. You don't say it will be an oak tree. You say it is an oak tree. So the first thing I think God wants to say to us this morning is this. When he knew you before the foundation of the world, every single one of us, he knew us before the foundation of the world and he chose us in him. He chose us to be his sons and daughters. And then, you know, the foundation of the world happened and we went on a few centuries and it came to the moment when you were conceived and he knit you together in your mother's womb. Now, at that time, he knew the good works which he'd already prepared in advance for you to do. And he put the appropriate seeds of what you will be and what you're called to in you at that time. So, he may have decided, um, Sheila, I am calling you to work with young people. I'm calling you to reach a generation of young people who have been abandoned by their fathers and who are facing all sorts of challenges. But when she was in Jenny's womb, God put the gifting within Sheila before she ever lived one day. And he's done that with each and every one of us. And what I want to show you is that in scripture, God, God calls things that are not in our eyes as though they were. So when God came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, you are the father of many nations. That was in Genesis 12. But at that point, Abraham had not had a child. But God called him a father. Because when God sees Abraham, he sees the gift that he, and the calling that he put within him. So likewise, um, another example would be Gideon. Gideon was called and equipped to be a mighty warrior. Now, Gideon was hiding in the wine press, but when the angel comes to him, he says, come forth, mighty warrior. And even it's true of Jesus himself. When Jesus was just born, hadn't done anything, hadn't grown up, was really just a baby, you know, pooing and burping and sicking all over the place, the wise men came and bowed before him, calling him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when he was offered in the temple, um, Anna and Simeon both said, I, my eyes have seen the salvation of my God. But at that point, Jesus hadn't done anything. And I want to put it to you this morning, I believe God wants to say to all of us, he has put giftings and callings in each and every one. Our job is to discover 
what he's called us to and to agree with him that this is my part in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes, in fact, most of the time, we have a sort of thought pattern that thinks, when I'm good enough, when I'm holy enough, when I've earned enough credits with God, perhaps I could come into a destiny. But we have it the wrong way round. There is a calling and a gifting in each and every one of us that was there before the foundation of the world. And when God looks at us, that is what he sees. So let's say I had an apple tree, or or even my oak tree. And let's say the apple tree died before it bore apples. Would it be any the less an apple tree? No. It's an apple tree because it's an apple tree. My oak tree is an oak tree because it's an oak tree, because of what's inside of it. And you are what God has called and gifted you to be. That is how God sees you, not what you think you are or what you think you aren't. So the, the, the goal of trying to find God's plan for us isn't to, oh, if I work really hard and if I'm really good and I try to be really holy and I, you know, attend six Bible studies and fast for 40 days and all of that, maybe God would give me a job cleaning the toilets. It is the wrong way of thinking. There is already gifting and destiny and calling in each and every one of us that was decided before the foundation of the world. Our job is to discover it and then walk in it. So that's our starting point this morning. So this morning, what I'm going to try and uh, talk about is how do we find out what it is that God has put within us? What is he calling us to? And the first way I would say, I may have touched on this last week, is to encounter God himself. If you understand that you're called, well then let's turn to the person who called us and encounter God himself. The trouble is many of us spend all of our lives rushing around getting the promotion, looking for the right man to marry. Oh, I'll have children next. Oh, I'll get a job. Oh, I'll develop this or I'll run after that. And we can be so busy that we never take time to come before God to ask him, Lord, what is your plan and calling and purpose for me? And again, that old mindset comes in well, I'm not holy enough, good enough, spiritual enough, anything else. I've got to be perfect before I can come to Jesus. I really want to break that lie this morning. You come as you are. You don't have to do anything. You were redeemed the moment you were born again and saved by the blood of Jesus. You are equipped and fit to come into his holy presence because you are holy and you can come in and you can ask 
please do not hang back from coming to God because you are full of shame or because you're conscious of the things you've done wrong. You know, I just want to say in, in, in the New Testament, you know, the, the woman that Jesus spoke with at the well, she was a tart. She was the worst type of woman in her village, in her small town. An adulteress, one who lured men off their course, one who lived off a sinful way of life, really. And her, in all her uncleanness, Jesus came to her. With Peter, you know, when Peter had um, denied Jesus three times, which to me, I think that's just about the worst sin you can ever do, really, is to deny Jesus. It was when G Peter had denied Jesus three times and then they met afterwards on the beach and Jesus made breakfast for Peter and he said, Peter, do you love my sheep? Do you love my lambs? Look after them, feed them. It was at his lowest moment, his most sinful moment, if you like, that Jesus met with him and commissioned him for the great work that he had called Peter to. Paul, Paul was commissioned just after he'd murdered Stephen. He'd put to death one of the father's godliest sons. And yet, at that point, God met with Paul and commissioned him. It doesn't matter whether you're a murderer or whether you're just an ordinary everyday Christian like most of us trying to follow Jesus in the world. Whatever stage you're at is irrelevant. The, the point is, come to Jesus and encounter him. Ask him, Lord, what is your plan for my life? What do you have for me? Come boldly. The second way we sometimes find out what God's plan for us um, is this. Um, sometimes God's plan for us comes out of times of great pain. Um, for years, decades, for years, I thought that when I was struggling with life, it was because I'd done something wrong. I hadn't quite got it right. And, and I thought to myself, if I just try harder or do a bit more of this or serve a bit better over there, then I wouldn't have the hardship and I could sail through life doing God's plan. But I want to put it to you. If you are one who is in pain this morning, God wants to take our pain and partner with us and redeem the pain. So he wants to bring us through pain and out the other side so that from a place of victory, we can turn and help others who are struggling in the same way. And we can set them free because we ourselves have been set free. So there would be people like, um, I don't know, Corrie ten Boom, who was 
in the um, in the prison camp in Germany during World War Two, and they endured years of untold hardship. She was a lady who loved God. She and her sister Betsy, but they suffered for years in. Auschwitz and Ravensbrück in the most inhumane conditions. And Betsy's, um, Corrie's sister, Betsy, was a deeply spiritual lover of Jesus. And towards the end of their time in the prison, where they had faithfully walked with Jesus through all the pain, Betsy, uh, Corrie turned to Betsy and she said, well, I don't know what that was all about. What good can come out of us being in a prison camp for four years? And Betsy turned to her sister Corrie and she said, this is the point. If we can testify that God was with us in this living hell. We can tell other people that there is no place that on earth that he cannot reach. And we can save others. And we can tell of the power of forgiveness because they had to forgive all the people that had abused him. And I want to say this morning... In our lives, there are times of pain. There is pain comes to the saved and the unsaved. And please don't think it's because you've done something wrong. You may have contributed to your own pain. I've contributed to my own pain many times because we're not perfect. But God wants to meet with us in our pain and redeem it and bring glory to himself in the tragedy and in the triumph. And through pain, he often brings calling. And if you're in pain, just trust God in the middle of it. And I would say this, note, note the steps that God gives you, the stepping stones that he gives you to come through the pain and out the other side, so that you may turn and help others. It's useless to someone saying, oh, well, God delivered me. Well, you know, if God's not delivering them, it's neither use nor ornament. But if you can tell the steps that you took to get out of the pain and where you met with God and what you learned and how in the end you were set free, then you have a mission to tell others. And it's in, it's in that pain that really Romans 8.28 becomes true. For we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. God wants to redeem all pain and bring glory out of what the enemy meant for evil. The third um, way that we can uh, perhaps discover or give us indication of what it is that God is calling us to is to look at what are your gifts? 
What do you enjoy doing? What are you good at? Because every single person has got gifts. And um, I don't know if I've got time to read it, but you know, I've been looking at that, um, the, gospel, uh, the parable of the talents that um, is towards the end of Matthew. It's Matthew 25. Um, I should have had this ready. Um, And here, God talks about how he gives gifts to every single person. And if we're trying to find out what God is calling us to and believing that he's equipped us for the calling that he has for us, It is worth taking maybe an hour or two or three over different times and sitting down with a cup of coffee and just think, what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? And then, if you're feeling very brave, I would ask those that know you well, what do you see in me? What do you observe in me? Where do I flourish? Where am I competent? Where could God use me? And it's a very scary thing to ask other people, what do they see in you? But it's also an incredibly helpful thing because we have sometimes a distorted understanding of what we're like. And other people can see us more objectively. So I would take time to ask your boss at work. You don't have to tell him or her why. To say, what what do you see about me? I'm doing this exercise. What do you see in me? Ask your spouse. Ask your friends. Ask those who know you well. But also ask those who know you less well. What is it that you see in me? And then bring that before the Lord. And, um, and once we've understood or had some indicators of things that we might be good at, it's then the time when we have to get very serious about stewarding what God has given me. So... Um, So, if we go to the parable of the talents, and it says here, um, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then the master went on his journey The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents put that to work and gained two more. But the man um, who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And then it goes on to say that after a long time, the master came back and he asked the 
um, the people that he'd given the talents to. <laughs> what did you do with the talents I gave you? And the first one comes up and says, Master, with those, that, the five talents that you gave me, I invested them. And over time, they've grown. And I've got, now got ten talents. And the master says, great, now go and take charge of ten cities. And to the man with two talents, he says, what have you done with the talents that I gave you? And he comes up and says, master, I've invested these talents. And lo and behold, I've got four talents. And the master says, well done, go and take charge of five cities. And then the man with the one talent comes up and says, oh, well, you know, I just knew you were harsh and hard and you were just going to come down on me like a ton of bricks. So I just buried it and I didn't do anything with it. And in the end, that man is put to one side. And there's some principles in here that I think will help us. Um, There are two things perhaps worth noting. God has already given us gifts. Um, he has given each and every one of us a number of talents. We've all got more than one. Sometimes what we do is we look at the number of talents. So if you look at Gerald and I, I, I often feel like a one-trick pony. I can only do one thing. But sometimes I can look at Gerald and he can do 20 things and he can do them all really well. And I could, I could sit there thinking, I could sit there thinking, well, that's not fair. Chana, chana, chana. And well, I'm not going to bother with my one trick because he's got 20 tricks and everybody's mesmerized by the 20 tricks. And I, can, and I can get miserable, and I can get grumpy, and time goes past. But actually, what this parable of the talents is teaching me is it's totally irrelevant whether you've got one, five, or ten talents. The truth is, you've got talents. And we have all got more than one. And it is my responsibility to develop those talents and to grow those talents. And as I do my bit, God then comes in and does his bit. So the man with the five talents develops his talents. He <coughs> practices them. He invests them. Sure, he did not get from five talents to 10 talents overnight. He invested some money. He put it to work. Some of his investments worked. Some of them absolutely tanked, and he made a loss on them. But as he grew in, in investing money, the talents grew overall. And then when the master came back, it was the master who gave rule, who gave increase, who gave dominion, because the servant had been faithful with the little that he'd been given. And it's just this, it's worth noting that we need to ask God, Lord, what have you given me? And what can I do to steward that? What can I do 
to grow it. And this is another interesting thing. Sometimes um, when we're given a gift, we can think, oh Lord, please increase that gift. Lord, please, please just make that gift bigger. And when I'm more sure in what I'm doing, then I'll step out in it. Um, well, I'm telling you, you could wait 40 years praying about your gift and your gift will not expand at all. It only grows as it's used. And as it's used, you can bet your bottom dollar you're going to make mistakes. But keep going. It's as we use it, as we develop it, as we go forth in God, trusting him to do what only he can do, as I do my bit, um, growth and increase comes. And at the end of all that, there is reward for each and every one. Um, okay, so I just very quickly want to try and, well, just tell you a little bit of my testimony in this area. And I'm going to tell it to you warts and all, because oh, I'm cry. I've made some terrible mistakes, as well as some growth. And sometimes I've struggled to know what's my responsibility and what's God's responsibility. So if we go back to um, 1979, I think it was. You're not that old. I'm sure it's 89. I'll go with 89. I can't remember when it was. But anyway, um, I went to university all my young life. I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why I wanted to be a lawyer, but I wanted to be a lawyer. And I never wavered from that for one minute. And I went to university as part of this, and I was not a Christian. I did not know God at all. And I went to university. Uh, I enrolled for law, and I went to university to study law. But one of my weaknesses, one of many, is that I'm not very good at working consistently. In my school exams, I always left it till four weeks before the exam, crammed like bilio, and somehow managed to get through whatever. I'm not one of these people that, you know, not like Danny, who does uh, allocates assignment one on week one sort of thing. I'd leave all 10 assignments till just before they needed doing. Anyway, we get to my first year exams, and I'm not a Christian, but I've had a friend who is telling me about Jesus every day. And in my first year exam, one of my exams was criminal law. And the basis of that course was 50%, it was murder. All the offences, murder, manslaughter, etc., etc. And the other half of the course was um, theft. And there were reasons for that, which you don't really need to know. So being true to myself, I got all the past exam papers. And guess what? So there were about 12 questions on the exam paper. You had to choose four. And there were always at least four, five, six questions on murder. And then six questions on theft. 
and associated offences. So guess what? I swatted like mad. I knew the law of murder better than Lord Dunning himself, who was the Lord Chief Justice at that time. I really knew it well. And I went into the exam room, you know, feeling, oh, yes, I'm going to walk over this. Turned the exam paper over, and guess what? There was one question on murder, and it was a real, it's whether or not, if you fail to do something, whether you're guilty of murder. It's murder by omission. Are you guilty? And I turned this, my heart sank. Oh, I felt sick to the core of my being. And, um, so I did my question. I spent an hour and a half on this one question that I could do. And of course, you know, the person either side of me, they're scribbling away. And I thought, I have literally, because I haven't even attended the lectures on theft. I haven't looked at the statutes. I don't know the case law. And I'm thinking, I honestly have written everything I can write on this paper. But I knew if I didn't pass this paper, that was me out of university. They, they wouldn't pass me. So I just bowed my head in the middle of this, my exam hall, and I just said, having heard about Jesus, if there is a God out there, please would you help me now? That was all I said, it was all I had to say. And for the next hour and a half, I wrote three more questions, and I was quoting uh, statutes and cases that I had never read. And at the end of the exam, I hand in my paper and I came out. I had a boyfriend at that time and he said, how did it go? And I said, I think I've just seen a miracle. Well, he absolutely poo-pooed the idea. He hadn't heard about Jesus, wasn't interested and blah, 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 blah. But I got a merit for that exam because I passed. But I knew it was by the grace of God. It was a miracle. <coughs> so roll forward a couple of years and I came here, and that was another miraculous story. But anyway, God brought me here because uh, there were only three law schools in those days, and one of them was here. And I came here to the law school, and guess what? At the end of the year, what position am I in? Have I, uh, have I done all the work? Have I attended all the lectures? Have I been learning as I go along? Well, guess what? No, I hadn't learnt my lesson. I was 20. I think. I hadn't learned my lesson and I knew I didn't have enough time to do the volume of work needed to be done to pass these exams because there's a shed load more exams and they're a lot more difficult. So again, once again, I'm in a panic and I'm thinking, oh Lord, what shall I do? And God spoke to me clearly. Absolutely, I knew it was God. And he said, why don't you ask me to help you? And I thought, oh, great. Thank you, Lord. But in my brain, how I read that was, oh, you're going to do the same as last time. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be quoting things that I haven't. And somehow I never really got on board with working. And guess what? Uh, let's say I had seven papers. I can't really remember now, but uh, maybe I got five of the papers, but I didn't get the other two. And there went the dream of being a lawyer. Because at that time, I didn't have any more money to go back and retake the exams or to go through the course again. And the dream came to an end. Let's say we roll on another, 
perhaps another year, maybe another two years. And from the moment I came to Chester, I came to this church. That's another long story. But I came here and um, we had a guest speaker. And this guest speaker was preaching on the failures of Paul, where Paul had got things wrong. And he cited various examples. And then he said, there are people here who feel like they're a failure because they've mucked up in life. And God wants to meet with you in your failure. So at the end of the meeting, he had us all stand, and I'm standing, and I really don't know too much, you know, just not, I'm just a young, young Christian. And he said, I want you to raise your hands, and I want you to ask God, where have you failed? And I thought to myself, now I knew, I was very conscious, before I became a Christian, gosh, I made so many mistakes, you wouldn't recognise my life then. But since I'd become a Christian, I hadn't had a lot of time to do a lot of wrong things. So I thought, well, Lord, I haven't really done anything. I haven't failed. But the man at the front insisted, ask, ask God. So I just said, well, Lord, where have I failed in my life? And straight away, I could see this, the law exams. And I thought, oh, yeah, I really did fail there. So I just released it to him and I said, Lord... I really mucked up there. I really failed. And I let you down because I do believe that God wanted me to be a lawyer as well. I'd have been a good lawyer. Um, and straight away, in the midst of my failure, God said to me, the gifts I gave you, which would have made you a good lawyer, I gave you to teach my people. And there is the calling and already, the gifts that God had given me, the seed form that was in me, was there. And it could have been used in that area, but God wanted to use it in another area. I just want you to know, at that time when God spoke to me, I was probably smoking 40 cigarettes a day, something like that. Um, I was single. I was... Not a horrible person, but not a nice person either, you know, because I'd only just been redeemed. And I wasn't in a good place. But in the midst of that, God spoke to me, no matter where I was. So at that point, the other thing that happened when God called me to teach his people was that there was no women that taught. So we're going back a long time, but I am not kidding. I would have been burned at the stake if I'd stood up to speak like I am doing today. No women at all spoke. And more than that, I was single and I was young and I was immature and didn't have a great character and all of that. So I just said to the Lord, well, Lord, if you want me to speak, you will have to do something. I could do nothing about speaking to teach God's people. The one thing I could do was begin to study the word and begin to read the word. And that's what I did. I began to read the word. I began to study it. I began to try and understand what it was saying so that I could fulfill this calling and then rolling on, just to bring it to a close really quickly, um, 
we've had apostolic relation with, with people for all of our, all the history of this church. And um, one day, the gentleman that was in charge of this church, going back, you know, decades, he really was not in favour. I did go and tell him, and I said, I, you know, I think God has told me he wants me to teach his people. Well, he was having absolutely none of it. You know, just, you've heard wrong, you've got it wrong. And then one day, the man who was the apostolic covering over this church, um, I'd met him somewhere. How I met him, I do not know, because, but I did meet him. And unbeknown to me, he wrote to the person who was the leader of this church. And he said, I believe this woman has an anointing to teach. And I want you to start making openings for her to speak. Well, that was just miraculous. That was unheard of. I did my bit and God did his bit. And then gradually over the years, I just began to teach. The person that was in charge then, he wasn't very happy. So he kept saying, oh, well, you've got to teach like me. And I couldn't do it. I could not teach how he taught. And one day I just had to go to him and say, I'm really sorry, but when you tell me to do it like this, it feels like Saul putting his armor on David to go and fight Goliath. I can't do it that way. Would it be okay if I tried to do it my way? And very reluctantly, he agreed and he, oh, he towered over me and he watched me and he scrutinized me to make sure I didn't say anything wrong and so on. But that was the story of how this, how this came about. And I am utterly convinced that for every single person here, there is the same story, different gifting, different calling, different circumstance. But God is calling everyone because his church is a body and the time is now. And there is a world that is lost and hurting and needs the people of God to arise and be who they are in this world to help others. Amen. Shall we stand? Shall we just stand? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this, the truth of these words this morning. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have no favourites and that you are calling each and every one of us here in this room to become a mighty oak tree, in whatever way, in whatever way you've designed us to be. And Lord Jesus, I pray as we, Holy Spirit, please just come and rest upon us. <coughs> Holy Spirit, please come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that where we've got failure in our life or where we don't feel adequate or special or worthwhile. Holy Spirit, please would you come and pinpoint those areas of our lives where we feel unworthy. 
Oh, we feel a failure. Just bring anything that the Lord is bringing to mind. Just bring it to him right now. And release it. Release it back to him. He does not want you to carry that. He does not want you to carry failure or unworthiness or shame. They are not from him. Holy Spirit, please come and release your people. Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, please would you come and replace the shame or the unworthiness or the failure. Please would you speak to each one of your people and please will you tell us, Lord, what is your plan and purpose for us going forward from here? Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for each one. It was formed before the foundation of the world. Each one of us is worthy and holy to carry that plan and to go forth. Lord. Lord. Holy Spirit. Mm. Holy Spirit, as the children come in, we just rest this with you. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you will not let us rest until you have spoken to each and every one of us. Lord God, we rest all of this with you. Amen. I would just say, if anyone wants prayer, just as a result of anything that we've shared this morning, please come down here or... Um, after the meeting, and there will be people who will just love to pray the love of God and the purpose of God and the healing of God into anyone who needs it. Amen. Tea and coffee. Thanks for listening.